you for joining us today for part two of Heritage Mississauga's 2022 placemaking webinar series. We would like to begin with a land acknowledgement. We acknowledge that the land on which we gather today is part of the treaty lands and territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit. We recognize the importance of this land and pay our respects to the Anishinaabe and other First Nations, Métis and Inuit, past, present and future. This is the second webinar in our four-part series, and it features today with Frank Giannone and the presentation is entitled Port Credit Back to Life. Frank is the president of the Fram Building Group, a family company founded in 1981, and as a four-generation builder, he has spent a lifetime in the construction industry. Frank, I didn't think you were that old. Uh, the uh, Fram is involved in residential and mixed-use building projects in Toronto and Calgary, and, uh, and in Texas and Michigan. Fram is recognized as a developer of urban villages, emphasize, emphasizing pedestrian-friendly walkable communities. Port Credit Village in Mississauga, the shipyards in Collingwood, the redevelopment of the Don Mills Center in Toronto, East Village in Calgary, the North Shore in Irving, Texas are examples of their work in this area. Family holdings include the Verve Retirement Living, which houses over 5,000 seniors in Ontario, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and British Columbia, where Frank serves as a founding director since 2004. From an industry association pr perspective, Frank has served nine years as the Tarian Warranty Corporation member of its board of directors. Frank is also past president of the Ontario Home Builders Association and past president of the Toronto Home Builders Association. Frank is active in his community. He is a founding director of the Port Credit Community Foundation. He acts as an adv advisory capacity in selection user groups activating Mississauga Celebration Square, and he is proud to have recently joined the board of directors with Heritage Mississauga. Frank and his family live, work, and play in Mississauga. And with that, we say welcome to Frank Giannone and his presentation, Port Credit, Back to Life. Thank you, Matthew. I, uh, I'm looking forward to this. Um, I know it'll be a good discussion. Let me just set up my share screen. So um, this question was asked of me a couple of times is why would I call it back to life? Um, you know, as, as uh, Matthew had said, I've been a resident here for over 37 years and been active in the community as a business person for now over 20 years. Um, and, you know, I know what the 80s and the 90s were like here, what the, what the second half of the 80s and the 90s were like here. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, went through some tough times and, you know, Port Credit in general has gone up and down in terms of uh, uh, what, uh, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, what, what has brought it back to life, what has hurt it uh, economically. So, I, you know, I start off with uh, the comment uh, um, uh, from Daniel Burnham, an architect who worked on the Chicago World Fair, make no little plans, they have no magic to stir men's blood. Um, that's something that uh, will come up again later on, something that maybe just keep in mind as we go through this and what it will lead to in terms of where the future lies. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm gonna talk a bit about history, uh, history going back a couple of hundred years. Um, I'm gonna talk about industrial port credit, um, the regression that I referred to in the 1980s and the 1990s, what triggered a rebirth, um, the redevelopment strategy that came from that, from those triggers, the community's role, the role of programming, stresses that are created by uh, the, the rebirth and uh, what the future um, 
what I, what I see as the future, at least, or what we as a community should be considering as a future. Um, so it's important to know what brings us here and uh, how we should look at it. Um, so pre-colonial port credit, the Mississaugas inhabited the mouth of the credit since prehistoric times. Though they were nomadic, they always came back to the credit's mouth, especially in the early fall with spawning of the salmon, uh, which was a major food source. When the French traders arrived, they traded with the Mississaugas uh, with their modern European goods for the furs and other native products. And because the what, what the Mississaugas did at the mouth of the credit was very seasonal, um, they set up the use of credit where uh, uh, the, the Europeans would trade their product for future payment uh, by the furs and, and other products that the, the, the natives would bring to them. And that's how the name credit came forward and how Port Credit uh, derived its name. When the British came, colonial expansion created a demand for the benefits of the uh, Credit River area and the Lake Ontario shore. This resulted in purchases from the Mississaugas. Uh, initially, the, the Mississaugas had some protected ownership, and you can see that mile on either side of uh, uh, the Credit River on the map that, that you have in front of you. There's a blank space between on, on either side of that, and that was a mile that, that was reserved for the, the, the Mississaugas at that time. Um, eventually, uh, the, the benefits of the Credit River area continued to be in demand. Another purchase was made from the Mississaugas, who then were limited to a village where the Mississauga Golf Club is today. And you can see that the village in the bottom uh, right corner was starting to take some shape. The village uh, shape continued to form. This 1987 map shows clearly a recognizable grid with street names that we all know today. Uh, big difference is what, what you see at the mouth of the credit in terms of the, you know, the lack of a, a harbor, the lack of a, uh, a marina a facility. So very much, uh, very much uh, what it was like uh, before that started to form. Now, were credited very early on, uh, uh, the viability of it as an independent, complete community was a product of the strength of its economy based on its port. So over the next hundred years, they were a trading center, they were a shipping center, um, they had the stone hooking industry that uh, uh, was responsible for uh, much of the uh, stones that were used in uh, in uh, downtown Toronto, um, and it was a fishing center. And it would go up and down uh, economy based on how strong those economies were. Um, uh, those have really now all all of, of course we've abandoned all those from from many 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 years ago. Um, but then industrial port credits started to form. Uh, and uh, on this slide here, you see on the far left, uh, the Admiral site in yellow, St. Lawrence Starch site in blue, the marina, and in purple, uh, the what, what was the brickyards that became eventually at the closing, the Texaco refinery. So St. Lawrence Starch uh, was in business, was the first to open up of those, and it was in business from 1890 until 1990. Uh, which at the time it employed 100 people. Um, the brickyard 
refinery. First, it was a brickyard from 1981, sorry, from 1891 until 1927. Uh, and then various refineries between 1932 and 1989. This was 79 acres in Port Credit plus the tank farm in Lauren Park. Industrial Port Credit carried on, uh, you know, the, oh, sorry, I forgot that is the same slide. Uh, the Admiral Inglis site was from 1951 until 1991. It employed 750 people. It was a maker, originally a maker of televisions and radios. And then when it was purchased by Inglis, it converted to refrigerators. Port Credit Marina, uh, you know, since the 1800s, it was a shipping hub. It was a boating hub in terms of fishing and that. But uh, uh, it was revitalized in 1961 as a package freight terminal which unfortunately closed in 1972. So it didn't have much of a, a very long life. And in 1973 became a recreational facility. When it was run as a, uh, as a freight terminal, it was run originally by CSL, Canada Steamship Lines. Um, just as a note uh, on uh, Port Credit's municipal status, it was uh, incorporated as a police village in 1909, a town in 1961. When the town of Mississauga was created in 1968, Port Credit stayed independent. And then in 1974, when the city of Mississauga was incorporated, it became part of the city of Mississauga. In the, in the 60s and in the 70s, it was a complete community. Uh, it had industry, it had uh, Go Transit came in 1967, uh, uh, the buildings uh, that uh, go back to the 60s were all being formed to add housing into the village. Um, the Vogue Theatre existed between 1937 and 1979. Um, there were restaurants. Uh, there was an arena. The, the existing arena was originally built in 1959. The library was built in 1962. And at the time, all four major denominations of Christian churches were here. Unfortunately, the industry closures with the shipping in 1972, Texaco uh, started winding down in the in the early 80s, but completely shut down in 1989. Uh, St. Lawrence Starch shut down in 1990, uh, a victim of free trade, and Admiral shut down in 1991. Um, there were retail closures that followed that, um, and uh, that ended up uh, changing the face of Port Credit. Uh, Port Credit, uh, um, and, I, and I lived, uh, we moved in there in 1985, Port Credit became a place that really there was no reason to go there. And I'm going to borrow from Michael Spaziani's uh, presentation from last week and uh, um, suggest that at that time there was no there there. Uh, that's a, a quote from Gertrude Stein. Um, and it, uh, it comes into play uh, that, you know, there really was no reason to go into Port Credit. Somebody living here, you know, I, I can tell you that. But then there were triggers that happened um, that bring us uh, a rebirth. Um, Center City Capital has to be credited with what it did with uh, uh, converting the Marco Polo uh, into the Waterside Inn. Um, it brought uh, uh, a hotel uh, that people would want to be at. 
It brought a restaurant that uh, uh, helped uh, uh, bring people into Port Credit. Um, the city uh, has to be given credit for its partnership with the Snug Harbor Restaurant. Um, uh, that again brought people to the waterfront, um, and they, you know, they they were looking way ahead. And uh, uh, those two things helped us make a decision as a, a future developer. Um, the city's public marina in front of Snug Harbor also came into play, bringing access uh, to visitors, uh, having placed a boat uh, and quickly get into the village. Um, the city's renovation of the Port Credit Arena uh, was also a trigger, uh, making, making better places where people could meet, not only attend uh, the use of the arena. And then St. Lawrence Starch uh, got a municipal board decision in 1997, uh, which triggered a rezoning, which, which through that rezoning and sale uh, brought uh, uh, our company into play. Um, and we uh, then uh, purchased the St. Lawrence Starch site. Um, and I want to talk about how research led our strategy because it, it it'll it'll come forward in terms of who our buyer was and therefore how that rebirth happened. Um, we we looked at um, comparable studies as we were buying the property in terms of what what were there that we could understand out there that uh, would help us determine who the buyer would be and what the interest level would be. We put up a sign um immediately after purchasing the property and within the first month we got 500 people signing up for uh questionnaires in those days the questionnaires were done the old-fashioned way on hard paper um it was a 20-page questionnaire with a lot of information that we were gathering because we we really wanted to understand what would what, what would come of this um those questionnaires broke uh broke uh, we broke out of those questionnaire answers into seven focus groups, bringing in a total of 100 people. Compare, so from a comparable point of view, we studied the GTA real estate and its market conditions, which in 1998, um, the real estate, uh, residential real estate had been in recession for a good um, nine years. Um, so it was understanding how it was slowly coming out of that and what were people looking for. It's interesting at that time, St. Lawrence Starch was, uh, uh, had been in a battle with the local community and the city over a significant high-rise development that they had proposed. And there was no market for high-rise development back then. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh, you know, so understanding, you know, what you're what you're trying to get approved versus what was the market uh, uh, there for um, was an important part of decisions that we made going forward. Um, we studied what was going on with Waterfront Toronto. Again, significantly more density, but it was uh, uh, probably a result of the highway was removed from the rest of the city and therefore was it was a community on its own somewhat. Um, in Mississauga, uh, a competitor of ours, Camros, was on the College Way with uh, a building. We had that to use as an example uh, to study how our market would react to that. And there were suburban townhouses in Mississauga. At that time, a typical suburban townhouse in Mississauga averaged about 1,300 square feet. So we had that understanding and we had that to, to, to learn off and to present 
through the focus groups and the questionnaires. Most importantly, there were a series of projects that had been done in Oakville that uh, were bigger townhouses, that were townhouses that uh, did interesting things with the garages in that uh, the garages weren't at the front of the units, they were in behind. So we studied those and we also presented those in our focus groups. <clears throat> what we were looking for was direct research. We weren't going out there to the general public. We were looking for people that had an interest or a potential interest in, in living in Port Credit. So the, the fact that the questionnaire came only from the signage meant that it was getting people that were driving by or driving into Port Credit and not uh, uh, people that might have been somewhere that, that may not have applied. Um, the learnings uh, that we got through the questionnaires was that um, our participants were very qualified to live on the waterfront in terms of uh, uh, what their expectations were. Um, there was a pent-up demand, uh, quite high pent-up demand for our townhouses where the average townhouse in Mississauga was about 1,300 square feet. The questionnaires brought that up to about 1,800 square feet. So we were getting bigger than we thought we would get. Uh, and condo demand was there, but at the very high end, at the larger units and at the very high end, there was condo demand. Um, primarily our respondents were empty nesters, people that had been in Port Credit, in Lorne Park, in Gordon Woods, uh, in Mineola, uh, and uh, who were looking to stay in the area, um, uh, but were prepared to move off their lot. Um, cars, um, they all had they all had two cars. Um, you know, if it was a couple that had two cars, it might have a third car. Uh, it might have a motorcycle. It would definitely have bikes. Um, as as I said, the, the the, the, the locals were our primary respondents that qualified. And most of them had an awareness of the Oakville comparables that we were showing them in terms of uh, the type of townhouse and that. So they had been around or had friends or, or had visited Oakville. And so there was awareness of that. Uh, um, and some of them actually had moved to Oakville and were looking for a way to get back closer to home. So from the questionnaires, we selected qualified participants. Um, in the townhouses, we had three groups of 15. In the condos, we had three groups of 15. And then we also had a group of 12 local realtors uh, who, who you know, had people that were interested in selling their home but didn't want to move away from where they were. Um, and we got good information from them as well. So our townhouse size got pushed from 1,300 to 1,800 to what we actually built was a, an average size of 2,500 square feet. Very large townhouses. Um, they ranged all the way up to 3,000 or greater than 3,000 for anything that fronted the waterfront. And uh, we even had uh, a couple uh, very, very large ones, one of 5,500 and one of 6,300 square foot townhouses. They wanted to live in Port Credit. They, they saw what could happen in Port Credit because in their mind, they had the Oakville downtown. Um, uh, they weren't scared to be here. Uh, one of the questions that we asked, uh, asked them was, uh, did you want it to be a private community? Did you want a fenced community? And the great, great news there is that they felt safe living in Port Credit. 
that they didn't want that. They didn't want to be seen as uh, uh, elitists. Um, and that's why you have a very open community that's very porous um, and easily accessible to the waterfront. Um, <clears throat> this direct information provided us uh, an opportunity to redefine the zoning. We actually reduced the density on the area south of Lakeshore Road, where there are townhouses now. That, um, provision had been made by the zoning decision that would have allowed that to become uh, a combination of townhouses and, and uh, mid-rise buildings. Um, we decided to go with all townhouses because the demand was so high. <clears throat> we also decided to go with townhouses because it, the townhouse development being the first phase created the value proposition for anybody interested in a building. Um, the design of the townhouses harkened back to arts and crafts style of poor credit and that people appreciated that we did that and uh, it added value to our future phases. It, uh, it gave us design direction, uh, that information that, that we responded to with the townhouses, but also with the buildings um, in that uh, people were looking for something that would reflect the, uh, the uh, uh, what had been there before from an industrial point of view. We also re re received information on floor plans, on finishes, and eventually we also got uh, information on what our pricing could be. So this is what you know what was built as part of the the, the southern half southern part of our development uh, south of Lakeshore, the townhouses to the right, the regatta uh, to the left, uh, seventy and eighty Port Street behind the regatta. So our development was a mix of unit types. We had our standard townhouses. <clears throat> this is looking down the mews to the water. We had our live work, which at that time was uh, uh, pretty revolutionary. We had our work component at the front and our live component started from the back. I apologize for the sound in the background. Um, uh, this, this has been very successful. Again, the strategy was to bring back an industrial uh, look uh, to what actually fronted when St. Lawrence Starch was in operation along Lakeshore Road. <clears throat> the, the regatta was part of our phase, it would, let's say it was a phase 1B, uh, followed immediately on the heels of uh, uh, the townhouses. The regatta uh, is 75 units. The average unit size was an unheard of 1,750 square feet at that time. Um, when, when most of Toronto was starting to come out of the doldrums of the 90, was probably averaging 700 to 800 square feet. Uh, the demand for this was for larger units, uh, and, uh, and uh, we had a lineup outside when we launched this building, and the average age in that lineup was over 75. That led to 70 and 80 Port Street. Uh, 80 Port Street is in the foreground. In the background, uh, you have 70 Port Street. Um, our average size went down to 1,400 square feet, still large here, and then down to 1,100 square feet for 70 Port Street. And again, that was still large. One of the most important learnings that we had was 
as Gertrude Stein said again, uh, there is no there there. Uh, you know, how do we how do we create uh, something that is more than just buildings and townhouses? How do we create something that you know people would want to come to? Uh, people would want to uh, be a pedestrian in the neighborhood that could take advantage of the there there. So one of the solutions that we we looked at is something that you know as a traveler I, I enjoy squares in uh, all parts of the world uh, to be able to sit down and uh, uh, watch the world go by. And so we created the two squares, um, the very successful one on Lakeshore Road um, uh, with a rolling hill in it, uh, surrounded by uh, uh, you know patio uses. And then the one on the waterfront, which in this case, is, you can see in this in this slide, uh, is busy. But unfortunately, that's not the norm. That only happens when the events pay attention to the space and bring the events towards it. Uh, and I raise that because in hindsight, it's one of the mistakes that we made um, in that the commercial that sides onto the regatta did not have provisions that would allow food uses and patio uses uh, both within the zoning and within the condo documents uh, to allow this to become a, a bigger square. Um, it's something that we're being very careful with as we continue to, to develop uh, uh, other properties, uh, not, and not just in poor credit, but it's, it's, it comes to the, how you program uh, the spaces around these public places. Uh, the good news is it opens it up, you know, as you come down here, Ontario and cross uh, Lakeshore Road, there's a big opening that opens up onto the waterfront. Uh, I just wish it could be more active like the square is on Lakeshore Road. So I talked a bit about programming. Um, you know, programming has a huge role in, in how Port Credit has now become a there there. It's Again, it's not just about the buildings. It's about what do you do to 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 bring not not only to deal with you know what the locals and what the new locals have uh access to in a pedestrian way but what do you do that brings the rest of mississauga into uh port credit um so you know we've we've played a role in supporting the 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 uh, uh programming of these spaces and i have to tell you that the volunteers that run these spaces really are the ones that that are the heartbeat of of poor credit but uh you know uh, the Southside shuffle just passed uh it was a perfect weekend um uh we, we, we the music on the square on lakeshore road uh is a uh has been a steady thing that we've supported uh for every saturday and sunday music in memorial park the farmers market um, uh, the work that Karen Priest does with the Christmas uh, uh, event, uh, you know, VegFest is a regular now here. Arts on the Credit is a regular here, um, but there are a few other ones that we want to make sure that we bring back. Um, you know, whether it was because of COVID or or whatever reason, uh, the Waterfront Festival is not there. Although the Waterfront Festival reinvented itself with the ice sculptures and the Winterfest uh, in Port Credit last year. Um, movies in the park, we got to find a way to bring those back, uh, the Busker Festival and the Comedy Festival. So these are things that that keep Port Credit busy now, really, with, with uh, a couple of those events uh, uh, throughout the year. 
and uh, we're going to make it a priority uh, as as an individual and as companies that uh, that, that I represent to to, to continue that uh, going forward. <clears throat> so, import credit there is there now. Um, there are people on the street constantly. Uh, there's a burgeoning restaurant, cafe, and patio scene. Uh, there's been a steadying of retailers, uh, but we could use more retailers. So that's something we're, we want to try to pay attention to. Um, more recently, there's spillovers happening on the east side of Port Credit. Um, uh, uh, there's a steady upgrade going on along there. Uh, and the, the Brightwater development, of course, will pull uh, Port Credit to the west side. Um, and, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I remember when we first moved in there, there were three uh, check cashing outlets. We're down to one. Um, and I see that as positive, I'll, although there are many people that still use that uh, that product and need that product. Um, but, you know, poor credit's become a busy place. Uh, uh, and it's, uh, um, depending on who you talk to, it's, it's either good or bad. Um, so it brings me to my next slide. Um, so Yogi Berra, a baseball player from the New York Yankees, a commentator for uh, a number of uh, baseball uh, uh, sh uh, uh, shows. You know, his comment was, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Of course, you have to remember he's from New York. Uh, so there are lots of crowds all the time there, but uh, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. So it's an anachronism that... Uh, that again, you need to think about as we go through this presentation and as questions arise. Um, you know, that means people want to be there, uh, and that's why it's too crowded. Um, and, and, you know, what is the fine line between uh, scaring people away from going coming into Port Credit uh, uh, versus encouraging people to come into Port Credit? So it is a fine line that uh, that we have to be prepared to address as we go along. You know, as Port Credit became busier and as uh, uh, the stresses of development uh, 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 took hold, um, the community recognized the fact that people and people being in Port Credit will bring more people. Um, and so, you know, how do you become part of the solution? And I, again, I have to give uh, the association's credit um, they're trying to become part of the solution. They're trying to control the growth pattern and the intensification. And they've recognized that they can't leave it to provincial policies to tell us what we have to be doing. So that's something that, uh, again, we'll talk about more as the future comes forward. But uh, I, I call them out because they are, uh, um, they are representing the people who live in Port Credit uh, in as good a way as they think they can do it in terms of becoming part of the solution. And so Town of Port Credit Association, Cranberry Cove Repair Association, Port Credit BIA, and the Port Credit Heritage District um, uh, give those volunteers all the credit I, I can give them. You know, part of the community engage, engage engaging in what's going on um, results in some of the things that we're now starting to see in in terms of uh, some give back that's happening and a benefit that's happening from the development. You know, we were, we were uh, uh, challenged by 
a couple of uh, our community leaders, uh, Mary Simpson and Deb Greenfield, to say, to look at, you know, could we find a way to bring number one, more art in, and number two, to bring more Indigenous art into the community. And over the last uh, two years, you've seen some of this happening. Uh, and more recently, uh, um, you know, the utility boxes on the left in uh, outside Port Credit Arena, um, the mother and her children uh, in front of uh, our, our office at the southeast corner of here, Ontario on Lakeshore. And for those of you who are, might be wondering, uh, we had a concern about the root system on that building. So, the, so we're restructuring that and, and reopening that uh, this Friday. Uh, and we want to make sure that the two little children weren't going to be stolen or removed from the site. So all of that's happening and she'll be back up very shortly. Um, the Port Credit mural project uh, with two sets of murals, uh, one on the LCBO uh, building and the murals on the Inwell building at the far, uh, far east end of Port Credit. Those are things that will continue as uh, as time goes on. Uh, um, we see the potential, and again, uh, being pushed by uh, uh, Mary and Deb of an art walk. Um, the the local councillor Dasco has to be credited with picking up the ball and making sure that um, uh, the city is uh, uh, supporting what's going on uh, in in that respect. Uh, and there are a number of other partners, the Port Credit Community Foundation, um, uh, Eden Shaw, uh, the BIA, uh, uh, Peel Chrysler, uh, as well as our, our companies, uh, Fram Slocker uh, and Kilmer Dream and Diamond Core that are, that are contributing towards this and feel that's our obligation for at least a small obligation towards what we do in the area. So, you know, people, as I said before, people follow people. And, uh, you know, what's what, what happened after our St. Lawrence starch development. Um, so the building on the left is NOLA, um, that uh, 15 story building, uh, 71 units, again, an average size of 1100 square feet. Uh, so continuing with a, a lot of empty nesters, um, you can see the marina in the background. Uh, you've got uh, Tanu on the right, um, uh, Eden Shaw's first building in Port Credit. Uh, average unit size, I believe, is around 900 square feet. Beautiful building. Um, and that's their first, uh, first of uh, a number of buildings that they'll be doing in Port Credit. There's more growth coming um, uh, on the uh, more growth story that has come already. Uh, the shores on the left is a retirement home. Um, that we're a partner in, uh, and uh, it also includes a, a seniors rental independent living building. Um, so it's uh, just over 300 units. Uh, in the middle is our 55 Port Street currently under construction, uh, facing the waterfront average size, uh, huge, at 2,200 square feet, showing the demand for the high end in Port Credit uh, continues to persist. Edenshaw launched its Westport and sold that out pretty quickly. This is bringing more attainable housing into Port Credit. It's the first of a number of projects that'll bring more attainable housing where the average size is under 700 square feet. Um, 
uh, right across the street from the GO train. And then came Braywater, a mega project of 72 waterfront acres. Uh, on the left, you can see the empty land, um, 3,000 housing units, which will include condo townhouses, condo buildings, affordable rentals, market rentals, stores, offices, and it was a significant brownfield remediation. Uh, the whole site basically had to be cleaned up, uh, which is complete. Um, and the community put up with a lot of truck college that happened out of there, uh, out of there and into there, um, because we had to balance the site. Um, and uh, we thank them for that. But uh, the site, the site is now clean and uh, uh, is being developed. So what do we have underway? Uh, you can see the cranes are up on the first phase. Uh, on the right, the, the right crane is building the building that's shown in terms of the rendering. Uh, it's a small condominium facing the waterfront with a significant residential uh, podium, uh, sorry, a significant retail podium. I, um, you can probably already see the height of that. Um, the height on the retail side is important because it ensures that you get uh, tenants that uh, can use that kind of heights in terms of how they present themselves. Sometimes developers tend to make those heights a little bit too low and uh, it limits who your potential tenant can be. You know, still in the first phase, uh, our food store, the LCBO at the corner of Lake Mississauga and Lakeshore Road. Uh, you can see the square on the bottom left. You can see the restaurants that will face the square. That building will start construction uh, in the next couple of months. It's a, a heavy timber. Um, so quite the architectural piece that will be uh, uh, built there. Uh, we'd like to consider a piece of art. Again, you can see how we will set up that square to be used in the wintertime. Um, Brightwater also has an affordable housing project, which has already started construction in that first phase. Um, it's 150 units uh, for the region of Peel. Um, so again, that'll help us from an affordability a point of view, which is something that we are really just starting to address now as uh, as developers, starting with Eden Shaw with their more affordable condominiums and ourselves with the affordable rental. Uh, Brightwater also has uh, a number of uh, buildings that, uh, well, the building on the left is actually sold out. It'll be started, it just started construction. You can see the excavation done there. The building on the right is currently on sale, and that's Bridge House. Um, in the next two months, we'll be starting construction on the first 100 and uh, I think it's 106 townhouses um, that are on the north uh, west side of the site. Um, and those are, are sold out. We'll be launching new townhouses shortly. So one of the questions that was asked of me is what's going on from an innovation and sustainability point of view? <clears throat> and I can say that Import credit, it's already being led, uh, it's already leading uh, the market. Uh, a lot of people don't know that uh, the North Shore building that we did at the Northeast corner of here, Ontario and Lakeshore is actually a certified lead silver building. Uh, we did that building as lead silver. Uh, we didn't even market it that way, but we wanted to make sure that we could achieve that kind of level of uh, um, sustainability. Um, so, 
so our residents there have the benefit of number one a lead silver building and number two uh it's something that uh that you'll see more and more in mississauga the Shores senior building uh, that just finished that was just completed is the first large scale geothermal building in mississauga um uh, the whole building works with a geothermal uh, uh field underneath it um and uh, uh we're pleased with how it's reacting it's the it's the eighth of eight that we've done with our retirement home business so it's not the first time uh, but it's the first time in mississauga that we've done one and uh, that'll probably carry on into brightwater and a couple of buildings in brightwater 55 port uh the building that's currently under construction on port street uh is an energy star pilot project so we were selected as a pilot for uh, uh, a high-rise, mid-rise energy uh, project that uh, Energy Star was doing. Uh, we've done low-rise Energy Star for years, but this is the first building that we're doing like that. So in Braywater, uh, you, you, you know, basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a connected community and a sustainable community. Uh, the the some of the things that we're doing to make sure that that are being recognized uh, as being uh, um, uh, leading edge uh, include um, uh, LIDs, how you handle stormwater before it gets into the lake, how fast that stormwater gets into the lake. Um, uh, we're doing uh, green roofs. Um, we are. Uh, you know, the parks and trails were important. Um, we didn't press uh, uh, the issue on parks and trails. We, we, we over uh, uh, allowed for, for, for that availability of trails to come down the east side, trails to come down the west side, and a park in the middle. Access to the waterfront is completely public. Um, uh, we're, we're going to be working with the city on what happens along the edge of the waterfront. Uh, and uh, uh, needless to say that uh, there's a fair bit of a contribution of development charges that will add to whatever work gets done along there. Um, there are EV uh, electric vehicle uh, stations, both in the public parts of the parking and uh, for private individuals that want it. Um, transportation is important. Uh, there's a tr uh, the bus, uh, Mississauga Transit will bring its bus loop into the northern edge of the site uh, with uh, a stop there. Um, and then we will be providing a shuttle uh, to the GO station. Um, so that's those are things that are happening uh, uh, to try and again be leading edge. So I've got a shot here. So this is something that, you know, if you follow construction, you really have not ever seen something like this. But uh, what, what, what the, what's happening here is, is uh, the equipment is digging the trench that will become the LIDs that will take stormwater flow, slow it down, let it sink into the, the soil as much as possible, slow it down before it makes its way down to the waterfront. Uh, this will this will significantly improve uh, uh, any any stress on the uh, our storm sewer system. Um, 
this is really a first in Mississauga. I know that Lakeview is going to be doing something similar. Um, so that was uh, uh, something that we as a company um, uh, responded to. Uh, it was a counselor, Jim Tovey, that was very much a proponent of this. He helped us through. It took some learning on both our part and on the city's part as to how it would best work. And uh, we committed ourselves to it and it's happening. And uh, we look forward to the finished product in the next couple of months. So all of this, of course, um, has come with some heartache on, on the part of the community around us. Um, so what are the stresses? So I, I highlight them and I tried to highlight them in size so that everybody knows I'm not, I'm not shy to say that we have to deal with vehicular traffic, that we had an affordability issue that we, you know, the constant construction that's out there, the noise that we bring in uh, in late hours of night when with the cars and the motorcycles and, you know, the fact that even people create the stresses on the parks and the picnics uh, and the bikes going through, you know, um, racing through our, our, our village center are, is something that we also uh, have to, um, that also impacts how, how people live. But there are benefits, um, and this will be maybe part of the discussion that we have later on. Um, number one, we're providing housing alternatives. Um, we're, uh, we get the opportunity to live what I call urban-suburban. Um, a lot of us uh, in Port Credit and around Port Credit uh, live in suburban neighborhoods. And how do we best protect those suburban neighborhoods? But also, we get the benefit of living suburban and walking into urban. So the benefits that the central part of Port Credit provides us uh, in terms of access to restaurants and going for a walk and a cafe, um, uh, the music, you know, we can live in our home in suburban, live the suburban life, but we've got the urban access. Quality of spaces um, has improved significantly with the access to the waterfront. Let's remember when the industrial was at full bore here, it was very limited in terms of what you had access. At the refinery site, you didn't have access to the waterfront. At uh, St. Lawrence Starch, you didn't have access to the waterfront. Uh, the marina still doesn't have access to the waterfront. Um, so, you know, that, again, to the city's credit, they're, 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 you know, between what they've done and what they're planning to do is creating quality, quality spaces along our waterfront. Um, the events, uh, some people look at the events that we bring into Port Credit as being uh, uh, something that they don't enjoy, um, but they're, they're there and they bring not just Port Creditors into, into our village, but they bring people from all around us in. The arts is just starting. I think that there's an opportunity to continue to improve the arts um, and uh, take advantage of that. And then, of course, the cafes and restaurants are, are constantly, constantly, uh, any retail that comes available is being sucked up by cafes or restaurants. And it's, again, as I said before, it'd be nice to be able to keep some of the retail that we've got and to actually try to improve how much retail we've got. So on the next slide, you know, what is the community's role going forward? And I bring up the Daniel Burham quote, but in its entirety, 
um, uh, initially I, I just presented the first line or the part of the first line, uh, but make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood and probably themselves will not be realized. Make big plans, aim high in hope and work, remembering that a noble logical diagram once recorded will never die, but long after we are gone, be a living thing, asserting itself with ever-growing insistency. That's an important quote in my opinion, because we can impact uh, by, by aiming high. You know, what does it mean? It means, you know, I point to what Topka did with its white paper, um, where it became very, very proactive on what should happen, number one, on the refinery lands. Um, and it was a strong paper that, you know, at the time as a developer, I said, okay, well, how do we create a university town? Unfortunately, what happened is the, the, the provincial government changed uh, back then changed how they look at these satellite universities that they were bringing in and it stood in our way, even though once we bought the property, we still tried to revive trying to bring in the, some form of a satellite school. So what our campus becomes still will be changing. But you know what what started there with Topka is is a number of other presentations. they they got involved, they stayed involved. The other ratepayer associations in the BIA, uh, uh, followed suit and they they strengthened how they work uh, uh, with developers that are prepared to work with them. Um, not all developers understand uh, uh, the role of the community and 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 how the community should be listened to and how you try to evolve with it. But I think that uh, when you compare how active our groups are, which you know, as a developer that's developed all around the GTA and and in other places, uh, it's gonna it's hard to find uh, volunteers that are as committed as the, the, this this group of people are in trying to get the right solution done. You know, so it's important that the community continues to stay involved to let to to, to control the evolution of Port Credit to control its growth. Um, and to control how it reacts to the policies of the, the levels of government we have to deal with, both municipal and, and, and provincial. Um, and, and then also figures out what's in it for us as residents. And I get to say the us because I'm a resident of Port Credit, but you know, how do how do the residents of how do the existing residents of Port Credit benefit? Uh, from from what is happening all around us. Um, so we have to get more of the benefits and try to lessen the stresses. Um, it's, it's something that's incredibly hard to do, but the pressure is going to continue to be there just because we are where we are on a GO station, uh, on a, a very active neighbor neighborhood in uh, the city of Mississauga. So what's next? So another Yogi Berra quote, the future ain't what it used to be which is uh, interesting because, uh, you know, he's uh, he's looking backwards and saying, well, that's I was happy with that. I don't know if I'm going to be happy with what's coming forward. So again, I, I'm going to lay out specific projects, but it's, you know, trying to figure out what we have as a, a plan going forward. We have to look at the bigger picture and uh, and how we look at the bigger picture. I'm, I'm prepared to help with 
how that gets done and prepare to help with the community as it organizes itself. But, you know, we have uh, a presentation already that's in, been in front of council. Um, on the left side, uh, our 10 West development at uh, Highway 10 and uh, uh, Park Street. Um, uh, some people have already seen on the right side uh, the proposal that's just started to make its way through the, the process for uh, the redevelopment of the no frills site. We don't call it no frills anymore. We call it 42 Port Street. Uh, and you can see that it has a strong commercial uh, presence along Lakeshore Road with uh, uh, the historic uh, house uh, uh, where Archway is right now still in place um, and set back quite a bit uh, off of Lakeshore Road. Uh, we also have um, uh, Councillor Dasco recently announced the artificial ice skate path. I don't think it's proposed anymore. I think it's happening and they're trying to have it done by uh, the end of next year. So we've got it in use in the winter of 2023. Um, so that's uh, something I'm looking forward to. Um, uh, again, it activates the community, not just uh, limits the activation to the summertime, but we get some activation in the wintertime. On the lower side, you can get an idea of the scale of this image. This was a test that we did for uh, video projection uh, murals. Um, you can see the scale of it by the size of the people in the bottom center. Um, so this is something that's still uh, in, in the works. Um, and uh, we are confident that it will uh, uh, be up and running in the near future. So again, adding some art to our community. And if you think that we've been under stress uh, up until now, the real game changer is coming up, and that's the Marina Lands. Um, the Marina Lands uh, uh, will get developed uh, in the next, probably start in the next three or four years. Um, and I think that the community still has an opportunity to have some input into that, um, uh, um, both pre-sale, because the property is owned by the federal government and uh, they've gone through the EA process, which uh, will eventually lead to their selling off the property. I think the community has to look at you know how how much commercial do we want in there the residential is going to add more people to the street uh, my take on the residential because because of the potential age that we've seen so far uh in what we've done that's it's less of a car issue on the that side of it potentially a bigger car issue when it comes into the commercial you, because you could easily see how this could become a significant commercial endeavor as well and do we want that or not? And that's something that uh, that uh, we probably have to figure out how to address and how to have some input in that, recognizing that right now I can still talk about it as a resident, but eventually, hopefully I'm a bidder and we'll see what happens after that process. But it's something that, that as a community, we need to have a, uh, a hand in uh, as long as we can. So with that, I'm open for questions and comments. Um, uh, I thank you for the opportunity to present my take on things uh, as I see them in Port Credit, as I've seen them in Port Credit, and I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation with you.
thank you so very much. Uh, I, I don't see any other questions at the moment. So, uh, you know, what is remarkable, I think you you spoke about it for me and it, and it, it pulls at me too, is that, you know, you're a resident building in your community, creating a vision for the place in which you live. And I think there, there's a certain amount of uh, a pride and heart that goes into the decisions that you're making and the place that you live and uh, kind of living up to that quote that you used earlier about, uh, you know, dreaming big and and uh, seeing that, that the effect that you will leave behind. And I, I think it's remarkable. And it's a remarkable story from a local perspective, from a resident's perspective, but also that you're engaging with all these community groups that you reference to, to kind of make sure voices are heard across the spectrum. Uh, because change is coming, and uh, it's better to be part of it than uh, than uh, than than on uh, you know arguing against it. Because whether it's you or someone else, that change is go going to come. The pressures are there, and so I commend you for the vision and for the leadership that you uh, have, but also for the 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 love of the place that you have. And I think that uh, steers your hand a little bit as well. So thank you for uh, for uh, sharing this with us this uh, this week. And we've got uh, a few comments here just saying thank you very much in the chat as well. So uh, kudos and uh, really appreciate the time that you've taken to do this today. Thank you very much, Matthew. And thank you, everybody, for paying attention. And for everyone joining us, uh, again, this is uh, part two. This has been part two of our uh, four-part webinar series. Join us next week for Matthew Marsili, his webinar, Lakeview Village, Wouldn't It Be Nice to Live Together? Uh, so with that, uh, we will say thank you, and uh, we will see you next week on our uh, webinar series. Thank you for joining us today for our 2022 Placemaking Webinar Series. We would like to thank Frank Giannoni for joining us today to share this inspiring and informative presentation that looks towards a vibrant future for Port Credit and Mississauga. Heritage Mississauga would also like to thank the Ontario Trillium Foundation's Resilient Communities Fund for their financial support to help us bring a sense of place to a wider audience with this webinar series. Join us next week as we welcome Matthew Marsili for his webinar, Lakeview Village, Wouldn't It Be Nice to Live Together? on Wednesday, September 21st at 12 o'clock p.m. Register now on Eventbrite.